The Hope FM Breakfast Show, brought to you by Creative Dental Clinic Budapest. Get the dental health you and your mouth deserve. Visit creativedental.eu. That's creative, starting with a K and ending with a V, dentalclinic.eu. Um, many thanks to our sponsors. Well, it's 8.18 and it's time for my special guest. And I have to say, I have a bit of a superstar guest this morning. He's a co-writer of BBC's Miranda, Not Going Out, Top Gear, ITV's Royal Variety, Channel 4's TFR Friday, CBBC, etc, etc. Please welcome Paul Carenza. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning, Ian. I, I won't take superstar, but you're very generous. You're very uh, kind. Nice well, well, I'm going to test you this morning. Uh, I'm going to test your humour thermometer oh. uh, because this week is Acupuncture Awareness Week. Did you know that? Well, I was not aware. So there <laughs> you go. That, that's already one thing they've done for us. Oh, right. Yes. So I wonder whether you got the point. <laughs> no, I clearly haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned that whole array of things that you did in terms of writing. So, to begin with, tell us how you got into all that. Uh, well, uh, how did I? Oh, that's thinking back some, isn't it? Well, I, well, I, I know fully how I got in, in fact, because um, pretty much all of my writing work I've ever had has all been from one route, and that was the first thing I ever wrote for, which was the news headlines back on... Uh, Radio 2 in, uh, well, I think I started, I did it in 2000, but it had been going on for, I think, 20, 30 years before that. And in fact, there's a tribute show in the West End quite soon to, to Roy Hyde and the News Headlines because it started so many writers' careers. It was the, the entry point uh, for BBC comedy for many people. And you, anyone could submit a joke to it. Any, you know, you could listen, you, you, you'd post them as it was then or fax them. And then um, I don't think they got quite got to email before it finished. And But from that then, the, you get to know the producer. She moved to another show. Uh, the news quiz, the now show, and then I met Lee Mack there, and then he did his sitcom, and then I did work with Miranda, and so on. So it's all spread out, really, from getting to know and getting the producer to like me from that original show. And of course, just sitting down in front of a piece of paper can't be that easy to come up with comedy. So how do you get the inspiration? Well, you know, pretty much all of the shows that I've mentioned there, that you've mentioned as well. Uh, they're all based on something. So the news, the topical news shows are quite a nice way in, I think, to, to comedy writing because you have something to base it on. You have the setup. They're all hidden there in the newspaper, you know, if you're writing a topical comedy show. So you, I've never or very rarely had that sort of blank page syndrome because instead I'm either basing it on an existing news story or if I'm working on someone else's script like, like Lee Max or Miranda's uh, sitcom, um, or Top Gear, you know, doing a car review, you've got something to base it on, you've got something to anchor it to. The tricky thing then, of course, is a very different skill set, I think, which is coming up with that idea to begin with. And trust me, I spent 20, 20 plus years pitching, coming up with and pitching ideas for sitcoms and shows uh, and sending off to comedy departments around the country. And, uh, you know, a few got to the last few hurdles, but then fallen at those hurdles, because that's the really tricky thing, is to get, it, get your original idea with these golden characters that we want to spend time with, uh, having different, exciting, interesting crises of the week that are relatable, but that we've not really seen before. Uh, that's such a fine line. So that's, that's uh, in, in a way, I, I found a lot harder, which I'm still looking at now a couple of decades in. You know. <laughs> so how do you deal with disappointment? Because you're implying you don't always win. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And rejection is a, a core part of this job. And I, I mean, I can tell you in the last... 
uh, well, last year, let's say, I, I've probably pitched a dozen ideas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so after over the last few years, 20 or 30 ideas maybe. Um, you know, and, and some of them are a little bit lighter in an idea for a magazine article or an idea for a small feature here there. But some are bigger. Some are, you know, some I spent months of my life on because I pitched a, a big, glossy drama series, knowing full well that's going to be harder because the budgets are higher, the, the, um, the, the slots are tricky to, to get. But you, I, I always think I, I aim for the best, but I prepare for the worst. And so I have two very different sides of my brain I try and engage at different times because when writing it, you've got to prepare this like it's the greatest thing on earth and everyone surely will agree and I'm going to make them agree because the pitch and the script are going to be so good. But as soon as it's finished, you get to the end, you have to sort of gear change and go, okay, and now we'll, what, what if, the, if this doesn't work out, we'll move on. Okay, mentally move on to something else. And um, I think one of the trickiest rejections I had was when I sent a, an email off with a pitch and it was rejected 20 minutes later. And I thought, I've not had time to move on yet. You've not had time to read the thing. But, um, it's a tricky one. Yeah. So out of the ones I've mentioned, or it could be one and another one I haven't mentioned, what's your favourite one that you've written for? Oh, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult to, to, you know, because, you, you know, it's like saying, which is your favourite child? And, um, you know, I mean, we've all got one, but you can't say it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm joking. I, I know my children are listening, so I must say I'm joking to that. But I, um, I, I think the one I enjoy doing the most, probably, I did Michael Bublé's BBC show, Bublé at the BBC. It was a one-off show. And I was writing the links, really, for Claudia Winkleman to interview Michael Bublé. And I wrote a, um, or worked with him on a, an improvised um, hidden camera stunt where we had him in prosthetics uh, selling hi-fi. So people were walking <laughs> past Michael Bublé, not knowing that was Michael Bublé demonstrating a karaoke machine in, you know, in a, in a department store. So that was great fun, but it involved probably the least amount of scripting I've ever done in my life. But it was a, just a blast. You know, that's, that's one of those treats of a job. You think, okay, I've worked hard on other projects that haven't been as much fun. I, I deserve this one. This is my little holiday for a couple of weeks where actually it was just just a joy but you know that i can't last you know it's a one-off and then it's back to pitching stuff that will never get made you know sounds great to me um well we wish you every success with all the others and not too many disappointments but um i know that you actually have a very strong christian faith so not only did how the writing start but how did that start well yeah so before i was a i suppose i was an amateur writer at the time i was writing um sketches for, for church which was my first writing i suppose i ever did but at this point i was would say i started doing that before i was a christian necessarily i was going to church because my family essentially sent me to church well my family weren't churchgoers and, and still aren't really but i um you know our local church was the sort of the hub of village life and so we had the youth group and the choir and the scouts and these things i think they just wanted to get me out of the house but i was signing <laughs> up to everything um girl guides probably i snuck in one week oh, so uh, whatever they could farm i didn't sneak in but they they farmed me off my family farmed me off to whatever they could find me to do in the village which was mostly church things you know so if there was a church event on generally speak and, and increasingly then it wasn't my parents saying off you go it was me saying well off i go i want to do this thing uh, there's a you know I, and then i went off to these um annual um sort of teenage like pathfinders and cipher these um groups where you know 40 young people go off and and are taught things you know based on the bible and you have a fellowship together but it's particularly aimed at young people and it took me a few years i think of doing that before i was gradually going okay i think i now know enough about this 
about this person of Jesus, about the you know Jesus being man and God and, and who the disciples were and what the miracles were all about. It took me a while, I think. It took me sort of a week a year of this sort of, um, you know, in one in, an intensive Bible study week once a year. And after about three or four years of that, I was 17 years old. And um, by a canal side, I thought, yeah, these, I, I, I get this. This makes sense to me. And I, I think this, this is the, the faith I believe in. And, um, and the rest is history, you could say. And that was Mama Cass singing It's Bet- Getting Better. And uh, that was the music choice of my special guest this morning, uh, Paul Carenza. So welcome back, Paul. Thank you, Ian. That's a lovely tune. Very nice. Tune. Oh, yes. And in fact, the first time we met, in fact, the first time we met, yes, was at my book launch in mm-hmm. London. It was. It was. Uh, but you had an interest, uh, not just in me, so I know it was really nice that you, <laughs> came, you came along, uh, but you've got a real interest in broadcasting and in religious broadcasting. So you've done a number of things connected with broadcasting, the BBC and religious broadcasting so tell us about your interest in that yeah so i, I did the um uh, as a religious broadcaster i suppose or it sounds odd to say it um i've been doing the pause for thought slot on uh, on the the uh, on a different thing a, a lesser radio station won't mention which one uh for a few years uh, which was um i started doing i did a book on being a christian and a comedian so that then led to the radio thing and but i've been interested for a while in in how all broadcasting began really how how radio began with just a handful of people it was when I, I first read i did a book on the history of christmas a few years ago and i read that the first bbc christmas there were four employees at the beeb but thirty thousand listeners i thought who were those four and did they get along and spoiler no they didn't really um but since discovering that little sort of factoid i've um, been getting as many books and and deep diving into the history of of who these people were they're reading their biographies and their memoirs and all these things. And so I started this big project during the pandemic on the history of, of British broadcasting, really. So not just the BBC, but all, all radio. And because the first voice uh, of the Beeb was actually sort of the first radio prophet as well, and not, not in a religious term, but in terms of predicting what radio could be. But very quickly, you get religious broadcasting. You get John Reith uh, very eager to um, uh, to get religious preachers on the air as of course you know because then i discovered your marvelous book that covers all of this thank so, you uh, yeah it's great to, great to, great to chat and, uh, and and link up about it all uh, so you turn um, a number of items of that into a performance mm. yeah so i did last year i did a show called the first broadcast which was restaging the very first broadcast of that chap i mentioned who was the first voice uh, of the Beeb and uh, and telling his story because that was lot by lots of little conflicts and uh, arguments about how radio should be and he had a bit of a rival who um, who who put on radio stations uh, radio shows which were just wild and improvised and and unlicensed and all these things and so uh, there was this lovely clash at the start I think between the wild version of what of radio and the more serious version and both of this is happening in the south of England really you know in between London and Essex. So then this year, I thought, well, how do I follow that? You know, we did the first broadcast. Do I want to do the second broadcast? You know, but then I discovered this lovely story of the first religious broadcast, which was before there was a BBC. There was one 
lone pioneer preacher who thought he would try this new radio thing to send an entire service into his church one Sunday from five miles away. And his congregation turned up baffled to see this wooden box on the altar, essentially, probably breaking all sorts of church doors in the process. But he was innovating and trying this idea of, you know, can we send blessings into a building? And not just into his church building, but homes around who have these very early radio sets would would listen in. So I thought, let's restage that. So I'm, I'm looking to put that on this year. So if anyone would like it at their place, the first religious broadcast restaged uh, you know, I have, have have the wooden box, we'll travel. <laughs> if people wanted to know more about that, how should they get in touch with you? Well, if you just search online for Paul Carenza, paulcarenza.com, you can find me. And uh, the podcast I do all about old radio is the British Broadcasting Century. And I'm writing a novel about it all called Auntie and Uncles, which should be out in the next couple of months. I'm, uh, my job today is to try and uh, crack on through the novel, uh, just bringing to life these sort of 1920s, early radio stories, really, including the uh, the tale of the first religious broadcast. So I'm, I'm online all over the place, you know. Well, we'll look out for that. Don't forget to invite me to that book launch as well. <laughs> Absolutely, you're right. Uh, so is that the ne- the major project for you going forward? It is, yeah. I think partly because it's one of these stories that I still don't quite know yet. And I think I'll probably look back in 20 years and work out what was the best way of telling it. Because I've, tr- I've done it on stage, which was lovely. I'm writing it as a as a book, which I hope will be a, a, a trilogy in a way, because I think um, the, I can do the first book, which just brings us up to the start of, of British broadcasting. And then from there on, you know, the first drama, the first children's shows, the first music, there's so many other stories to tell there. Um, and, and the podcast has been growing and growing. And what's been lovely as well is finding the grandchildren of these pioneers and reconnecting them with their grandparents' stories. You know, I've had people go up to their attic saying oh yeah i think my granddad was something to do with the early bbc and finding the memoir going oh turns out he was the second voice on it i had no idea you know so people are discovering stuff as they dust it off that they're actually these pioneer grandparents they have that they they never knew the stories they had to tell so that's been lovely to to reconnect those people so i think i'll be busy for quite some years yet doing this 90.1 hope fm and hopefm.com